0: And uh, we're going to pray for our time together. So let's pray. Jesus, thank you uh, for uh, just the new life that you brought in these doors uh, this morning, that you brought into the families um, that that, uh, I get to walk through the next 18, 20, 30, 50, 70 years uh, with these kids. Um, I am so thrilled for these moms and dads. I pray that you would give them the boldness to lead uh, their kiddos to you that you would give them the strength to endure the uh, hard days, that you would give them the sight to see the good days and just the blessing that their kids are. And Father, I pray uh, that you would just lead them to your throne, that you would make them um, men and women who are just uh, followers of you that are leading others to follow you as well. And I want to pray for Amy as well. Um, God, as she gets ready to take this bar exam, she's been studying, she's been prepping. This is what you've called her to since she was a kid, writing the stuff on the doors of her, of her um, uh, home and uh, thinking about the day that she would be uh, practicing law. I pray that Tuesday and Wednesday would go just a, a, a miraculously um, efficient for her as she takes the exam and that she would just nail it. Um, uh, your, your blessings on her, your grace on her and her study. And I pray, Father, uh, that this morning as we spend time together that you would be pleased, that you would uh, just inhabit the praises of your people, that we would listen with ears that are ready to hear. And as we explore the truths that come from Scripture and to see how they apply it to our lives, Lord, that this wouldn't just be lifeless words, but these would be words that lead us to your throne, that lead us to enjoy the life that you've given us and lead us to en- enjoy the people that you've put around us to do life with. Um, and so take this morning, use it for our good, and uh, I pray that, Lord, you would be glorified by it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Um, so question, how important is uh, friendship in the life of a believer? How important is friendship in the life of, of a believer? Uh, one of my uh, favorite uh, movie scenes of all times, and, and we're going to go back here for just a second, okay, for younger folks, maybe you've seen it, maybe you have it. But I'm going to go back. One of my favorite movie scenes of all time comes from Forrest Gump. And I know this is a, is, is a pretty dark picture, and it's not. but it was a pretty dark scene in, in the movie. Now, Bubba and, and Forrest, they've uh, just established this remarkable friendship. And they're in a moment in war where it is just pouring down rain and it is getting late. And these guys have been going at it for a while and they need to sleep. And so Bubba turns to Forrest and he says, hey, I got an idea. How about we sleep with our backs against one another so that we don't have to sleep with our head in the mud? I mean, that's a great idea, right? Why don't we put our backs together so we don't have to sleep with our head in the mud? And I saw that then, and I apply it to life now, and I think, boy, I man, is that not the, one of the best pictures of friendship that you've ever seen? It reminds me of Ecclesiastes chapter 4, right, where, uh, where Solomon, in all of his wisdom, he's talking about the beauty of friendship, and he says that a cord of three strands is not easily broken. Right, there's friendship that's wrapped up into that. Listen to those babies. That's not, a, that's not a painful thing. That is a blessing right now. Okay, But when Solomon says a cord of three strands is not easily broken, but he also, right before that, he says that if one person goes into battle, has to, goes to fight an enemy, he may be easily overtaken. But if you have another person that goes into battle with him that he's not easily overtaken, it is a fantastic view of friendship and doing life together. As many of you guys know, the Olympics, it kicked off this week, right? Uh, open ceremonies were just a few days ago. And there's, I just found out just a little bit ago that there's three-on-three basketball in the Olympics now. I was like, well, maybe, maybe we can go back and we, we can relive this these days, okay? Three-on-three, pickup games, I don't know. But the Olympics, they kicked off, they got started. And I think about what these guys and these gals have had to go through in order to make it to the Olympics. They put their bodies through so much training And they do things that just like, it would make my body sore just to even uh, think about. But there's going to be a moment when those men and those women, they're going to stand up on a podium. And they're going to be given bronze medals, silver medals, gold medals, whatever medal it is they or earned. And they're going to be standing there, but they're not going to be standing there just simply as an individual. They're going to be standing there as somebody who's part of a, a bigger team with their brothers and sisters who are on the team there with them. Now, they may stand on that podium at some point all by themselves as an individual, but they never ever could have got to that place all by themselves, right? They've always had somebody in the training, in the process, who's been walking with them or training with them to help them keep their head out of the mud, who's been holding their back up, so that they're not falling into the traps that would keep them from not training the way that they need to be training. They never got to the place that they are just alone. I was reading in uh, 2 Timothy uh, this week, and and this stood out to me, and I want to share it with you. Uh, Paul is talking to young Timothy, who is getting ready. like He's in ministry. He's preparing for ministry, and uh, a guy who could think, well, maybe I'm a little bit too young to be doing this. Here's the encouragement that Paul uh, gives to him. He says, You then, my child... Be strengthened by the grace that's in, that, that is in Christ Jesus. And what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops." And I was reading this this week, and I couldn't help but think about the Olympics that just kind of got kicked off, right? And I thought about Paul's words here to Timothy. He says, What you've learned from me, how you've grown up in grace, go out and you share this with other people. You bring other people along with you. You're not gonna stand on the podium just by yourself, but I want you to bring along people who are gonna eventually bring other people along with them as well. And Paul gives this pattern. He says, hey, think like a soldier, think like an athlete, think like a farmer. But I, obviously, I want to focus on the athlete this morning for, for obvious reasons, okay? I was talking about the Olympics a little bit. He says that an athlete isn't crowned unless he competes according to the rules, meaning that there are certain rules that an athlete has to follow if he's going to legitimately be able to wear the crown and be considered the victor of the game. Now the crown that he's referring to here is what would be like our gold medal um, here uh, today, right? It, it's what the athletes are competing for. The word that Paul uses for crown is the word "stephanos." Um, it comes from uh, the Greek word uh, "stephanao," which means to crown or it means uh, uh, to put a wreath on. Similar, it, it's kind of similar to the coronation of a king. Like, so when you're getting ready, a king is getting ready to come in to rule, they would take the diadem or this fantastic crown, and they would have a huge ceremony around him, and they would take that diadem, and they would lay it on top. They would Stephanao him. They would put a crown on top of his head. But what Paul's referring to here is this is the king of the sport or the king of, of the track, one might per se, or say here in referring to the Olympics. Um, and that person would get special honor. They would get special recognition. The crown that he's referred to, it's, uh, it's a garland that's woven out of uh, olive branches, and it's strung together, and they place it upon the head of, of the winner. It was their gold medal moment. It, it, was, it was their kind of their moment to shine. And that person who would be crowned the victor, they would uh, have a moment of prestige where everybody would see like they're getting, they getting special honor by all the society, like all the big wigs who, who are usually getting all the honor. They are yielding their honor for this person to be honored. And it could happen for a day, it could happen for a week, it could happen for months where this person would be honored. It's kind of similar to today where we um, athletes uh, get endorsements. They get special honor. There's, there's uh, perks that come along with winning. This is what would happen with uh, the person who was crowned. But in order to even get a chance at winning this crown, they had to compete according to the rules of the game, the rules of the training. And the word that Paul uses for rules here, it's this, uh, it's this word nomimos, which means to conduct oneself in a valid or a legitimate manner, meaning that you can only legitimately win the game if you go about training the right way and if you go about competing the right way. Because every person who was competing in the games back when Paul was writing this, they had to commit, they had to uh, make an oath of a 10-month plan of training. So for 10 months, I am going to be uh, distinctly and strictly disciplining what I eat I'm going to be disciplining what I put my body through in my training. And I'm going to be disciplined in learning the rules of the game so that when it comes time for the game, I'm going to compete according to those rules. So what Paul's saying here to young Timothy is that if you're going to experience success in your own life and you're going to have lasting impact in the lives of people that are going to be around you, there's a pattern of established principles that are already laid out for you. And if you're going to compete... If you're going to get the crown, if if you're going to be considered victorious in this, you have to compete according to the rules because that's where the crown is. That's where the prize is. It's where it's going to be. But the crown that Paul's referring to here, it's not a, a wreath of olive branches that's going to be placed upon somebody's head. It's the crown of arriving at the finish line with brothers and sisters around you knowing that they understand the grace of God through Christ because you've invested your life into them. See, we run a race for a crown that isn't going to fade. See, these olive branches that were strung across the head, they're, they're going to fade. They're going to rot. But, but the, the crown that we're running after, it doesn't fade. And the crown that we're running after, we do that with brothers and sisters with us at our side. What I want to do this morning is I want to take this passage uh, that Paul was writing to young Timothy here, and as he's preparing him for, for effective ministry, I want to take it and I want to apply and overlay it on the realm of the impact that friendship has in, in the lives of believers and getting us all to the finish line together. Because there's a pattern of, of long-lasting effective ministry and fulfillment in the life that God has given us, and it comes by the way of teamwork and friendship. And it's a path that's already been laid out for us that, that we don't have to try to make up on our own. It's already been laid out, and we follow the rules of training. We follow the rules of discipline that leads us down that path. But we know that we live in a society where individualism and doing things all by ourselves seems to kind of be the crown of achievement. Like if I can pull myself up, my, up by my bootstraps, if I can go about life and, and achieve on my own, be the self-made man or the self-made woman, there's some type of perk we feel that comes along with that. But there's, a, there's an old African proverb that says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Meaning that if you're, you're really going to make a difference, we're going to get there, we're going to get there together, we're not going to get there by ourselves. But I believe... That we have functionally bought into the lie that if we do it alone, that it we can get there faster, but that we can also get there further, or we can not only can we get there faster, but we can get there, we can go further as well, all by ourselves. Because if we're honest, I think we would say sometimes just going through and doing life is easier to do by ourselves. There's no hassles involved. There's no waiting on other people to come along. There's no messes that we have to clean up by somebody else. It's just, in our mind, it's just faster to go by ourselves. But part of um, bringing people along with us is slowing down long enough to let people catch up so that they can grow and, and go to the same places that we're heading to. It's what Paul was telling Timothy. We bring people along. We don't just go by ourselves. But when we go at it alone, we are pushing against the established pattern that God creates for us to actually go further. Not just fast, but we're pushing against something that causes us to actually go further. And so what do I mean by that? Well, we were never intended to do life alone, yet we try to do life alone. When God was creating, he looks at Adam, he says, man, this guy... I mean, he's, he needs somebody else. And the, like, the need for somebody else, this wasn't to complete him. It wasn't because he was lacking something that, 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 that like God messed up in creation. No, he was complete in, in God. He wasn't lacking anything. He was a perfect creation made by God. But when God is looking at him, he's seeing, man, I mean, this guy needs a companion. He needs somebody to do life with to share in the ups and downs in life, to help balance them out, right? To help get to the point where, you know, if they need to talk each other off the ledge every once in a while, you've got somebody there to walk along inside of you and do that with you. Now, how boring would life be if we just went out about, uh, uh, like, all, of our, all by ourselves, we didn't have somebody with us to share in the ups and the downs? And think about a road trip, like a road trip by yourself. That's pretty lonely, I, I, I mean, that, that is like, it, it, there's, there's not like, who are you going to share the playlist with? Like, who are you going to jam to the 90s with, right? Going skiing on a mountain or skiing like in the open lake or the ocean? I mean, how boring would that be if it's just you by yourself? You don't have somebody to share that with. I, I was in Colorado um, a, a few months back and I uh, went there to, to study and just to get away for a while and uh, during the afternoons, I would go out, and I would hike. And, it, man, it was just absolutely gorgeous. I, w- I would walk, and, and there's beautiful mountains, and I'm walking through the trees, and the trees would clear, and there would be uh, um, just, just beautiful panoramic views. And I was trying to take pictures of it, but I, the whole time when I was taking these pictures, I was like, man, Ashley would love to see these. My kids would love to see these pictures. Or my buddy Don, who likes the mountains too, I was like, man, Don would love to see these. And I, and I was taking pictures, and I was sending them, but the pictures, like, I mean, They just don't. They just don't do it. The whole time that I was there, I could feel this intense loneliness of not sharing these beautiful experiences with somebody else. Guys, there are way too many one another's in scripture for us to ever consider that life was to be lived all by ourselves. Way too many one another's to think that the race that we've been called to is just simply a solo race. Our lives were intended to be lived like a relay, tagging each other along the way. Coming into this race thinking, man, I I know that this is going to be a long run. I know that I'm going to get tired. And I know that I can count on you when I need to hand off the baton. Because there are moments in life when we've got a baton in our hand and life is feeling hectic and our legs are tired and our lungs are tired and there's things going on. We just don't feel like I can carry this by myself. That we reach out and we try to put the baton in somebody's hands and there's nobody there to take the baton, to take up the race. Man, we're missing out. Life is not a solo race We are called into this relay. And it's not just in the context of marriage relationship, as you see in in Genesis. This is in the realm of friendship as well. It seems like in every other proverb that Solomon writes, there's something to do with how we walk alongside of people in life. He's talking about the need of friendship. He talks about the need of doing life together. Now, Solomon was the king, right? He had everything. He had wealth. He had wisdom. He had everything at his disposal. But the thing that was harder to come by than anything else was to have a good, loyal friend. Somebody who doesn't want something from you just because you're in a position. Somebody whose motive is just simply to run the race with you, not to come to you because they've got a motive in mind or because they've got some type of ulterior motive, but just simply to come alongside of you and run the race with. And so as he writes the Proverbs... He's writing these things about friendship, what a good friend and what a bad friend looks like to his sons and to his kids, but he's also writing for you and me to look at too. What does it look like to be a good friend? What does it look like to be a a, a junkie friend to somebody? What does it look like to have good and bad friends in in your life? And, and, And I know talking about friendship seems a bit simplistic, right? And it seems like it's an easy thing to do, but we live in a world where we've got a bazillion friends on Facebook. We've got a bazillion friends. We've got 1,000 people that are following our Twitters or our Instagrams or waiting for a Snapchat to come for you or seeing what the next TikTok video is that you're going to throw up there. And, and, but the thumbs, the, the, you know, the thumbs up, the likes, and the, the friend ads, and the, hey, can we be friends kind of a thing, and the red buttons that are popping up notifying us that there, there's something new for you to look at or somebody wants to be our friends. I don't think those are cutting it when it comes to what real, true friendship actually looks like. You know, the the Barna Group, they did a study a while back, and they said one out of five adults feels lonely. One out of five. And that's not okay, right? One out of five. And they did another study that said even adolescents who are more crazy connected than we've ever been have experienced increased feelings of loneliness too. And so depression for adults and kids... Anxiety for adults and kids, isolation for adults and kids is at an all-time high. In a world that is ultra-connected, we still feel lonely. We still feel like we don't have real friends in our life. And for the, for the small percentage of us that do that, we have people in our life that feel like they know us and we know them, that's a small few in comparison. Guys, something's not working here. We're missing out on what true friendship is. We're missing out on running the relay together. And for some of us, like making friends is like waking up and it's like eating breakfast. It's not really that big of a deal to you. It comes naturally. But increasingly, it's getting harder and harder for some of us to make friends um, for all kinds of different reasons. We've been hurt in the past by friends that we've trusted. We work at home now a lot more than we used to work at home. And so it's just easier to not be around people. It's been afforded to us with our jobs. Most of our interactions right now in this time of life are at six feet away from one another or, or through the glass, and those types of things, they don't help us. And what's happened is we've gotten to a point where we don't really know how to be around one another anymore, or we've already, like, alleged that we were already falling off. We've kind of been helped off of it over, over the past year, year and a half. And so it's just become easier for us to not even engage with one another or engage or make the effort to have friends. But the truth is we need them. We need friends, and there's no growth in this area without some type of resistance. Now, think about this, right? You don't don't grow by just sitting in a chair. I mean, I guess you could grow by sitting in a chair, but I don't think that's the kind of growth that we want, right? We want something a a little little bit different. You have to push against something. There has to be resistance that's going to lead us towards growth. On uh, Monday, Wednesdays, and Friday of most weeks, I go to the gym with my buddy uh, Mike Bogots. I don't know if anybody knows Mike in here. He's probably worked on your heater or, or plumbing at some point. Uh, but we get up early, and we head to the gym, and we tell ourselves, um, like, there, there, are, there are mornings where it would be so much easier to just to stay in bed and not get up, right? And I, I do that sometimes. But we tell ourselves, like, the hardest thing that we'll do for the entire day already happened once we got out of bed, and we made the commitment to make it to the gym. And so we go to the gym, and we're there, and if we go there... And do nothing, that's not going to help. Like, there's a next step. Like, there has to be something that's done. You have to push against something. You have to push against some weight in order for there to be any type of change in your life if you're wanting to build muscle, if you're wanting to uh, gain endurance and cardio. Now, if that's true in the physical world, wouldn't that be true in the spiritual world as well? That if, like, if there are things that keep us from engaging with one another and that keep us isolated from one another, like... Like the resistance could be something that helps us and not hinders us. Peter and James, they, they actually say in two different ways, don't be surprised when you face struggles of various kinds. Like, don't be surprised when you have resistance and you have to push against something. Yet so often, when we find some type of resistance or some type of trial in our life, we're surprised. But Peter and James both said, don't be surprised when this happens. Yet we're often surprised they come up, we're like, well, where did that come from? Like, why is that struggle in my life? Why is that pushing against me right now? I'll tell you why it's there, because we have an enemy who knows that when we walk together in friendship, that we are able to go faster and further together than we could ever go alone. And that enemy doesn't want you to be around other people that help you grow and help you encourage you in your faith. They want to isolate you away. He wants to isolate you away from people so that you feel depressed, so that you feel isolated, so you feel like nobody understands what you're going through. And yet we're surprised when we face these struggles of various kinds. But I think these struggles to make friends and struggles that make it just easier to stay isolated, I think it fits into the category of struggles of various kinds. Yet pushing against the weight of uneasiness, pushing against the weight of complacency, pushing against the the weight of the feelings of not wanting to take the time to make a friend, pushing against the weight of, I think it's necessary for us to grow and to go further together. Um, My pastor friend Gary Brandenburg he says, reluctance to pain is the greatest limitation that we have in growth. Think about that. Reluctance to pain is the greatest limitation that we have in growth. And there are certainly some pains that come along in friendship, right? Some of the greatest hurts that we have have been people who have been close to us. And so what are some of the pains of reluctance and some of the, the pains that we have when it comes to friendship? Solomon says there are good friends And there are bad friends. Some of the pains that we have is that bad friends break our confidence. It says a dishonest man spreads strife and a whisper separates close friends in Proverbs 16. There's nothing worse than when you've trusted somebody with some information that you thought was gonna be just for your friend. And then for them to take that information and to share that with somebody that was never intended to hear it, or take it and, and blast it out on Facebook, or blast it out in some kind of post, and it makes you look a certain way, or it makes you feel a certain way, and that trust that you had given them is instantly broken. There's nothing worse than, than that type of hurt. That hurts, and, and, and it's hard to trust people after you've been burned like that. And so the call and friendship from Solomon here is not to share information that doesn't belong to you, if information that's been shared with you is supposed to be confidential, our job isn't to become the town gossip and to make sure everybody else knows what you're going through or what you did or what you didn't do. The job for us in our friendship and walking alongside of one another is if it's been asked of you and nobody's being hurt, okay, let's that comment, and nobody's being hurt by that, we don't share the details of somebody else's life unless we've been given permission to share the details of somebody else's life. A bad friend breaks confidence, and that makes it hard for us to keep pursuing friendship. Solomon's going to say, bad friends keep bringing up the past. He says, whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Now, we know that in Christ, we're forgiven, right? He's taken our sin, and he's thrown it as far as the east is from the west, that he has been gracious and merciful for us, but that's not something that just happened once, that grace and mercy comes in daily. Every time, like, he chooses not to hold our sin against us because he laid it on Christ and Christ already died for it once. And so he's not going to hold that against us. And so some of us, we hold our own sin against us when Christ isn't holding it against ourselves anymore, right? And so if we've been, um, if we can't forget something or we can't forgive ourselves for something that God has already forgiven us, that's something we just come back to him and say, hey, I'm having a hard time of forgiving myself. Lord, can you just remove this from me? I know that you've taken my sin as far as the east is from the west. You've put it on Jesus, and it's gone. But here's the deal. Sometimes our friends won't let us forget. Sometimes we've got people in our life that won't let you forget who you used to be. They keep reminding you of the past, the things that you've done, and constantly keeping you living in the past instead of living in the grace that God's given you for today. And so having wrong friends around us keeps us locked up into this place of isolation. And we don't need people in our lives that keep reminding us of who we used to be. We need people that encourage us to remember who God has made us to be through Christ, that he has given us a brand new identity. He has made us new. He has given us hope and a future, not, not a, a, a past of despair that, that leads us nowhere. He's taken that and he's thrown it away. We need people to remind us of what God has done in us. And so the call to friendship is to remind one another of who God has made us to be and to push each other and encourage each other into the grace of God. Not to constantly remind somebody of who they used to be or remind them of their past, unless you're pointing out the past to remind them of the goodness of God and how he's brought them along. We need people in our lives that point us back to Jesus, not point us back to who we used to be. And so I think that requires for us to take a survey of our life. Who are the friends that we have? they keep reminding us who we used to be or they keep pointing us back to Christ? It takes a survey of our life. Who are we? What kind of friend are we? Are we pointing people back to Jesus? Or are we constantly reminding people who they, they used to be? Solomon's going to say that a bad friend leads us into sin in Proverbs 1. It says, hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. There's that true crown here. My son, if sinners entice you, don't consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot amongst us. We will all have one purse. Solomon says, my son, Don't walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, For their feet run to evil and they make haste to shed blood. You know, some of us have been in situations like this where we know we're around people who we would call friends or people that would call themselves friends. But when we're around that group, we we don't like who we're becoming. We find ourselves in places of sin that we never want to be. We find ourselves repeating sins of the past, we find ourselves creating and implementing new sin in our life. And Solomon says, watch out who you are hanging yourself around because you are gonna constantly be pulled between two worlds. You're gonna be pulled towards sin when you're trying to run towards grace. You're gonna be pulled towards the past when you are trying to run to who Jesus has already made you to be. Watch out who you are adding into your life. And that is by no means a call to not associate with the lost because we have been saved and sent to the lost. We have been given a place and a purpose to reach out to those who don't know Jesus so they can experience the same grace that you've received, that we've received. But this is a call to know who we're associating with because we're not going to interact with people on the same level. With those who need to know Jesus, we're going to to love and we're going to lead them to Jesus. We're not going to engage in the same things that they are engaged in. Paul says, become all things to all people. He doesn't say, become a sinner so that you might win them to Christ. He says, shall we continue to sin? Absolutely not, when he's talking about what grace does. And so he points us back to leading people to Christ, as opposed to letting ourselves run into the fire and get burned in that sense. Does that make sense? So the call that we have is to understand who the friends are that we have in our lives and understand that we're get, what we're getting with each of those friends and how we interact in those friendships, not to run into sin, but to continue to run to grace ourselves and lead people out of the fire into the grace that we've been given. And so there are legitimate pains and reluctance to pain when it comes to friendship. And, and that kind of nudge us into this place of doing life by ourselves and running the race by our, ourselves. And if we let it, these struggles that we encounter, these struggles of various kinds, could lead us to just to try to run through life and do it all by ourselves, holding on to half of that proverb that we talked about earlier. Like, uh, if you want to go fast, go alone. But there's a second half of that proverb that I think we need to understand. If you want to go far, you you go together. You want to know something that I I learned um, about uh, going fast uh, together um, this week? Um, It actually turns out that if you want to go fast, the, the best way to go fast is to do it together. Um, I I did a a quick research here, and uh, the current men's world record in the 400-meter dash, it's held by a a guy named Wade Van Nykirk of South Africa. And he ran this at a 4303 time. Guys, that is blazing fast, okay? That is incredibly fast. It's actually considered the unbreakable world record, right? Every record is unbreakable until it gets broken. But this is just incredibly fast. What happens if you add three more people to that same distance in a relay and not just a solo race. You would think, your mind would say, well, that would probably slow things down a little bit, right? Here's here's what happens. The current men's world record for the same distance, but with a relay of four people instead of solo race by one, people working together, it stands at 3684 seconds. Think about that. That's almost seven seconds faster by running it with four people. So when we buy the lie that we can get there faster by ourselves and we can go we can only go further if if we go together? No, we go faster and further when we go together. That's crazy. Four people running the same race, and it's a lot faster. You know what that means? It means that we need each other. It means that we're better when we're together, that we can go faster and we can go farther together. So what do you do when you've been burned? What do you do when, when the race goes sideways and you've been burned by a friend? I think we've got to remember two things. I think we've got to remember that friendship is something that God has called us to. Right, this is, this is like, it's not an option for us. We have to remember, like, like not, not every friendship is going to be a bad friendship. There are, there are ones that go south, but not every, like, God has called us a friendship. He says in 1 John chapter 1, he says, if we say that we have fellowship with him, we walk in, dar- if, we, if we say we have fellowship with him, while we walk, walk in darkness, we lie and we don't practice the truth but if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have what? Fellowship. With who? With one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. It seems that there is a connection that if we want to walk in the light, we walk with the Lord, but we don't just walk with him alone. We walk in fellowship with brothers and sisters. The two seem to go hand in hand with one another, and the result is the sun cleanses us from all sin. There are, there are people who are in your life that can help hold you accountable to the things that you're, you're engaging in and, and walking through. But I think something else that we have to remember is that, that, that there is a functional goodness to friendship. That friendship is a good gift from God. I think that we forget that friendship is good when, when we've been isolated from one another so long and we begin to believe the lie of the enemy that you're better isolated than when you actually are together. Or if we, we just simply forget how good it is when we are together. And so Solomon, he reminds us that a good friend is a good gift from God. In the ancient world, there were three different kinds of levels of friendship. You have the normal acquaintance, kind of like what we have today. You know, there's people that you bump into. I remember bumping into a kid when I was, uh, when I, when I was little. We, we were at the Cardo's Pizza Store or a Pizza Shop in, in, in Waverly, Ohio. And we walked in, and this wasn't one of my friends, like somebody that I would consider close with me. He was just sit, he was sitting there and, and uh, get, picking up a pizza. And I walked in, I saw him like, oh, hey, how's it going? And my mom, when we got back into the car, she's like, hey, who was that? I was like, oh, that was my friend. Like, that wasn't my friend. Just somebody that I knew, and so we have these acquaintances that we leave on the level of our friends and we, and we count it good like that. But no, there's, there's a deeper friendship that goes than just acquaintance. There's the next level of, there's a, a, there's a loyalty just simply by, um, by rank and rule uh, that happened in the ancient world. But then there's this loyalty that comes and this third level of friendship that is, man, I am loyal to you because I know you. I am loyal to you because I trust you. I am loyal to you because we are walking through life together. You know the scars, you know the things that I've been through, and you know what I need more than anything else. And this is what Solomon says that friendship is. That there's a friendship that sticks closer than a brother. And that's the deep stuff. That's the you know me, I know you. True friends are gonna hold each other accountable. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of of an enemy. It's easy to find people who are going to just tell you what you want to hear. They're just going to puff you up and say, hey, you're doing great. Rarer are the friends who are going to come alongside of you and be willing to hurt your feelings to point you back to Jesus. And those are the friends that you need, the friends that are willing to say the hard thing and and to keep you humbly accountable um, and, and to keep you honest uh, with yourself. I, I had a friend, I may have shared this story before, um, but when I was younger, I had a bad dating life and I just was making a wreck of things. And uh, at, I came to Christ when I was 18 and made a mess up to then. And even after then, th- I hadn't got this area of my life figured out. And I had a buddy who uh, stuck closer, um, who was a brother who, who stuck closer at, you know what I'm trying to say? He was willing to say the hard thing in my life. And he said, Hey, what you're doing with these girls, like, it's not okay. And I looked at him and I said, who are you to say, and I just went off on him. I was like, you have no place to say this kind of stuff. I was so immature, and I I didn't talk to him for years, for years, guys. And then it turns out he was right. He was a faithful brother who was willing to inflict me with a wound so that I might be pointed back to Christ and so live in grace and live in mercy and live and walk in obedience rather than to continue down a path of sin. And, And then so years later, I called him up and I said, hey, I'm so sorry how I acted. Would you forgive me? And he forgave me and we talked about how good that advice was. And he didn't say I told you so, but he could have very easily said I told you so. True friends are gonna sharpen one another as iron sharpens iron. You know what iron does when it hits iron? Sparks fly, it heats up. But you know what also, also happens? Things get sharp. We, we need people in our lives who are willing to, to like knock off the rough edges in our lives are willing to get below the surface and ask us the hard questions to to be willing to let iron be iron and let iron hit one another and and to challenge us and to encourage us so that we might be sharpened along the way if your friendships are all on the surface level i'm going to spend some time with the lord and say would you help me to take these friendships or get a friendship and take them below the surface. Let's, to get subterranean on this and get below the surface where I can invite people in to actually hold me accountable, to actually encourage me, and to challenge me would be one of the greatest gifts of God's grace in your life to, to get below the surface and have some real friends speaking the truth in your life. And then we're going to jump to Galatians here. True friends carry the burden for each other. Brothers, if anybody's caught in, an, in a transgression, You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another the burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Brothers and sisters aren't going to let one another wallow and get lost in sin. They're going to go to one another, and we're going to call each other out. We're going to throw each other a lifeline when we put ourselves in a pit, and we're going to lift each other out of that space, or at least give them the opportunity to come up out of that pit. We're going to carry the burden of one another. We're going to throw... A rope. And what's gonna happen is we're gonna make sure our brothers and our sisters aren't sleeping with their heads in the mud. We're gonna make sure that we're going far together. We're gonna make sure that we're true friends. We're gonna run the race together. We're not gonna run solo races. What Paul was telling Timothy was in order to be effective and to go the distance, in order to be able to put on the crown, if we're gonna experience success in our lives and have lasting impact in the lives of others, There's this pattern of established principles that are already laid out for us. And so we'll seek to follow the patterns already laid out for us. And we'll put on that crown at the finish line, not by ourselves, but we're going to put it on with our brothers and sisters standing there around us. Guys, it's a relay race. It's not a solo race. So don't try to do it alone. Get people in your life to run with you. We pray for our kids all the time. If they're going into a scenario where they're new or when they're going to a scenario where they don't know anybody, we say, hey, we're going to pray for you just to have one good friend. And so I'm going to pray for you this week that you just have one good friend that you can go below the surface with, that you can say, you know what, it's worth it. It's worth engaging with. Um, that means it means that you don't do life alone. It means that you walk through this stuff together. It means that when you're learning something, you share it with a brother or sister. When you are asking God, show me some aha moments that I'm going to share those things with the people around me. I'm not going to leave people out. I'm going to ask God to reveal those moments to you, and you're going to invite people into your world. Say, I don't want to run this race by myself. Somebody like, well, I just need somebody to reach out to me. No, they need you to reach out to them, right? We, we wait too long. for We're just waiting for people to reach out to us. Reach out. Be proactive in that. And if you need to forgive somebody, forgive somebody if it's possible. We've been forgiven much, much is required of us. If you need to be reconciled, seek reconciliation with a brother or a sister. Don't live in the angst. Paul, or James and Peter, they said, don't be surprised. Don't give the enemy an opportunity to keep you isolated. Give the Lord the opportunity to walk you through grace in those spaces. Now, I was talking with Tony earlier this week, and he said that he, was, uh, he had a pastor or knew of a pastor who said, there are three different ways that we grow in life. When we grow through God's word, we grow through God's spirit, and we grow through God's people. God's people. We interact with one another. We lean into one another. We need one another. We're better together. Would you pray with me? Jesus. Thanks for the beautiful gift of friendship. Thank you for calling us to more in this, that, that you fight against the, the enemy by putting people in our lives, that there's encouragement to be found, there's challenge to be found, there's accountability to be found, there's goodness to be found when we step out of isolation and we walk in to life with a friend beside of us. Father, would you allow us to search deep this week and to see that this is a gift from you? And if we've just isolated ourselves so far, God, would you bring us back in? Would you just give us one good friend to invest in or to invest in us this week, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you guys.